This is Red Eyes Radio. From the visible to the obscure. RedEyesCreations.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Red Eyes Radio. We are coming to you from Sverige. This is radio on the most important and fascinating topics. You can follow us on a regular basis on RedEyesCreations.com. John Irvin is behind GnosticMedia.com. He is the author of The Holy Mushroom and Astrotheology and Shamanism. He is also behind the Pharmacratic Inquisition DVD. John is with us today to talk about a new aspect of his research called the Trivium, the three ways or the three roads that together with four other subjects or arts called the Quadrivium together forms the seven liberal arts. This is, or was rather, the foundation of a medieval liberal arts education. It's a method that pretty much have been thrown out of our so-called education system and we are asking why. John has a new website set up called TriviumEducation.com where you can read more about this as we discuss the subject further on today's program. Welcome back, uh, Jan. It's uh, good to talk to you once again. How are you and how are things over at uh, GnosticMedia.com? Uh, things are very good over here, Henrik, and it's been, uh, it's been a while. I think it was uh, 2007 when you had me on last. Is that correct, or was yeah. it 2008? Uh, good question. We had you on twice, so maybe it was 2007 first and then 2008 the second. I have to go back in the archive and take a look at that myself, and obviously we can encourage all our uh, listeners to go in there to listen to some fascinating material specifically uh, tied into the uh, uh, entheogenic work that you've been involved in, of course. But here today, on we're going to kind of you've you've taken things obviously into a new direction with your with your work and, and research, and I'm looking forward to talking more about it today. The seven liberal arts. Let's just run through some of the basics here to start. Then, Yon. Uh, well, sure. And uh, for people who want to follow along with many of the things we'll be discussing, they can go to my website, triviumeducation.com. That's T-R-I-V-I-U-M education.com. And uh, most of what we'll be discussing is there on the front page, and then they can follow along with uh, the audio and video and other reading material that's up there as well. And Hopefully, by the time this interview goes out, we'll have a brand new web- website up for everyone. So, um, but uh, yeah, so basically, when I was writing my first book, Astrotheology and Shamanism, back in 2003, 2004, and into 2005, uh, we covered a, a large section there on sevens and looking at sevens and, and religion and mythology and uh, this sort of thing. And one thing that kept coming up that I couldn't figure out how to uh, work my way into it was the seven liberal arts. And the seven liberal arts, and we have to remember, or what I should say is we need to make a distinction that the modern liberal education that people might receive at a university or college is very rarely, if ever, uh, the traditional seven liberal arts or classical seven liberal arts education as it was originally taught, unless one happens to have a teacher or professor who uh, knows the traditional form and is ju- you know just happens to be teaching the class, which I do hear from professors on occasion that do teach it and do know it, but they are rare. Mm. But uh, 
The seven liberal arts, let's start off by defining what the word liberal means first off. And the word liberal is defined as free by birth, hence befitting a free man or gentleman. And then somebody who has studied the liberal arts or liberal education, and it's also uh, not strict or rigorous, not confined or restricted in the literal sense. It means free. So uh, the word liberal is also where we get the word, or, or it's actually the word liberal is derived from the word book. And uh, it, libro or liber is Spanish for book uh, and Latin for books. So the the freedom is in the books. But let me read you a quote here that is from Edward Bernays that this is actually from the very first page of chapter one in Edward Bernays' 1928 book, Propaganda. Mm. And he says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are, if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and the social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. And so what we're looking at is uh, basically it's a system that the elites have established through uh, B.F. Skinner, uh, through Edward Bernays, through through people like this. To, right, he's, he's patting himself on the back right there in that quote and saying, right. look, at, look at me, what I've been able to do, basically. Right, and, and, and he's even using propaganda or PR to sell his propaganda to justify <laughs> his actions, right? Yeah. And, and, and basically, you know, he says that it's a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Well, it's the it's only logical because they have to enforce or the the dumbing down of the rest of us. And I think you've interviewed John Taylor Gatto on your show. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, really good interview. Always a lot of fun hearing uh, John Gatto. Yeah, right. And you know I've had him on my show a number of times as well. And uh, he's just done a a weekend with John Taylor Gatto that was recorded on July 4th weekend with Richard Andrew Grove at Tragedy and Hope, who is a, a partner of mine. And uh, so, you know, he lays out really the what the, the dumbing down and how they're dumbing down the, the public mind through the education. So what Edward Bernays is, is really saying, and, and let me give you another quote here by Walter Lippmann, and uh, Walter Lippmann, this is from his Public Opinion, which was published in 1922. We have learned to call this propaganda, a group of men who can prevent independent access to the event, can arrange the news to suit their purpose. In order to conduct a propaganda campaign, there must be some barrier between the public and the event. Access to the real environment must be limited. 
before anyone can create a pseudo-environment he thinks wise or desirable. So what they're doing is they're manipulating the data that's being given to us. So, and in order to do this propaganda, this PR, as well as the marketing, the government systems that are out there today, they had to take something away from us or at least covet or occult something from us Mm. so that we could not see how all of this works. It's basically, in a way, what we're going to be discussing today is like taking the red pill and being able to see all of the lies coming down the screen like in the Matrix films, okay? And this is the seven liberal arts education as it was traditionally taught. And uh, as I said, the seven liberal arts, the word liberal comes from freedom. And they've even spun the word liberal into its antithesis, meaning uh, a tax and spend liberal or a communist or a socialist, which these are actually the antithesis of somebody who would be considered a liberal. You're not yeah. a, a true liberal isn't somebody who wants to live off the, the tit of the government. They want to <laughs> live on their own. That's right. right. That's right. I wanted to ask you what you think happened to, I'm sure we'll get into it as well, but I want to ask you what you think happened to the teaching of the seven liberal arts, because this to me then seems that this is a system uh, that was derived for the elite pretty much in that sense. But this has now even, even that has gone underground, if you know what I mean, Jan, and and what we've been given uh, Hmm. consequently the few, you know, hundred years uh, after this disappearance is a much much more uh, you know boiled down version of this basically it's been trimmed to fit the plebs if you will but uh, go ahead uh, Jon Sure well the 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 seven liberal arts is composed of two components called the trivium and the quadrivium the quadrivium was developed by Pythagoras at which he lived about 28 to 2700 years ago or more and uh, the trivium was largely Uh, created by Aristotle, who lived about 2,500 years ago. Now, Aristotle, uh, when he published his work on the Trivium and on logic, he was, see, Aristotle was Alexander the Great's mentor. And he got in trouble with Alexander the Great for publishing this information because it showed how the elites controlled the masses. And, uh, you know, so it really what we're looking at is a system. It's sort of like, you know, a lot of people uh, know that the Kabbalah can be used for mind control and for negative purposes. But what we're looking at here is the same can also be true for the trivium. And the only way that these systems can be used for mind control against you is by you deciding not to understand how they can be used against you. You have to maintain your own ignorance or you have to choose to ignore the information, which is where the word ignorance comes from. And the word occult means simply hidden and the word uh, or, and educate actually means to unoccult. So when you get educated in something, you're no longer in the dark about it. You're no longer unaware or ignorant about it. And so these systems like the Kabbalah and like the Trivium, the only way that they can really be used against you, I mean, even if you're aware of them, somebody might try, but you're a lot more likely to pick up on any attempt at these things being used against you if you're studied if you've studied them and you're aware of them than if you're completely ignorant of them and you choose entirely not to study them this is right. why they're called the the liberal arts which means of or befitting the free okay so to not know them is basically slavery or 
or servitude. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> this is why it's important to study this stuff. And so what they've done, like I said, they've twisted the word liberal. They've also twisted the word trivium and they've tried to trivialize the word trivium and its importance and the word. And in fact, even I looked up on the Encyclope- Encyclopedia Britannica's website and they had a a wrong definition on their own website. So I contacted one of the academics, one of the, the professor, professor editors at, uh, at the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I asked him about it and he says, Oh, that's completely false. Where did you ever get the idea that the, that the trivium came from the, or the word trivial came from the word trivium? The word trivium means three roads crossing in Latin and the word trivial derives from this other word. And I said, well, that's exactly my point, sir, because I got that from your publication. Mm. And uh, so he wasn't even aware that the Encyclopedia Britannica was misrepresenting trivium and trivial. Um, so let's get into what the, the trivium is. And uh, the trivium is composed of three components, which is the first one is, and let me just uh, switch what's on my screen here. The first one is grammar, and grammar is is actually knowledge. And grammar, there are two different types of grammar that, we, as we can see it, most people when they hear the word grammar, they would think, you know, Henrik, why the heck are you having someone on your show to give us a a, a lesson about grammar? Okay, so you know there there's two different types of grammar. There's grammar that relates to a specified language like English, Russian, or Latin, and the words and sentence structure and everything within that language. And then there's general grammar, which l- relates to the words of objective reality in any language and applies to all subjects as the first set of building blocks to an integrated or fully mindful objective study or body of knowledge. So. Basically, we can think of general grammar as doing research, okay? Mm. And and what general grammar does is it answers the question of who, what, where, and when, okay? And special grammar applies to, again, the, the punctuation of grammar and, and understanding that uh, the, the letters and things that you're dealing with and how to put them together properly, okay? So when we are... Looking into a subject, the first thing we have to, the, the first things that we need to know are who, what, where, and when. Otherwise, we don't have any knowledge about what's going on. If I ca- came up to you, Henrik, and I said, Henrik, why does that machine over there work? And if you haven't gone over and looked at it and studied it, you probably wouldn't have any who, what, where, when, or, or et cetera of how, how this thing works. Right. And you, you wouldn't be able to explain that to somebody else. So it's important that we always, before coming to conclusions, and this is one of the main issues that I see as a global problem today everywhere, is people coming to conclusions before they've asked who, what, where, and when. And and this is known as putting your logic first. And so this is actually, I think, part of the removal of the trivium from education. And you asked uh, earlier when it came out of our education. I think it came out about in the 1850s is when they started to remove it. And probably by the 1920s in the United States, uh, it had been effectively removed except in small pockets. And some people even attribute the the American Revolution and the American Industrial Age to 
the trivium and the teaching of the trivium in the old single room schoolhouses. Hmm. So, uh, the, you know, this is all sort of integrated and put in together. But it's a, it's a, it's a we can understand, John, that it's a dangerous thing. In other words, this education, the knowledge that is acquired through the, if you will, then the, the, the proper. Uh, understanding of 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 the world you're surrounding and so forth it, it, that becomes right. uh, you 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 get a an empowered population because of it and that exactly from their that's point of view exactly is a, the key yeah. that's exactly the key is you're empowering them which enables the public to see the stuff that that Edward Bernays and Walter Lippmann and B.F. Skinner were talking about you know B.F. Skinner said give me a child and I'll shape him into anything right see that so just one more well, point the, on that John because I think that's a really imp- Im- important point that means in other words as well that they are not in any regard better or superior if we look at the elite or those who are, have exact, enslaved humanity. You, you, just hit it, you just hit it exactly on the head. What they're trying to do is they're trying to play this whole genetic eugenic, eugenicist, uh, if, you know, you can even throw Zionist philosophy in there and trying to say that one group is above all of the others. But what they're really doing is they're using a specific way of thinking to have an edge up on other people. And yeah. by you having this system... You can see how they're attempting to manipulate you. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, so you exactly hit it on the head. So what happens when people don't understand the trivium or even if you get the trivium out of order, the trivium, you know, some people will teach the trivium as grammar, logic, and rhetoric as three distinct and separate courses of study. And, you know, myself and the people that I work with, we completely disagree with that. We see it as a functioning system. And the reason that it's a functioning system is when you put it always in, in order, grammar, logic, rhetoric, grammar, logic, rhetoric, it functions as a wheel or a sort of corkscrew so that you can go up and down levels and research to verify and recheck the data that you're dealing with. You, you know, you're going, you know, when somebody asks, or at you how, you go back and you, you look through logic of the why, which forces you to go back down into the grammar of the who, what, where, and when before you come back up with more data. So it's like this, this system, like a corkscrew, that enables you to go up and down into any subject matter, whether you're studying basket weaving or astronomy, and it, you know, or, or you want to be a chef or whatever you're looking to do, you can use that same information to dig down, get to the foundations of what you're attempting to do, and come back up. Mm. And you know, with the proper information. So what happens is when we fail to do that, it's known as uh, uh, putting your your logic before your grammar. And logic is understanding. Okay, and lo- logic answers the why of a subject, but without knowing what you're talking about first and grammar is knowledge without knowing who what where and when first exactly what are you understanding right mm, yeah. so see just by asking what are you understanding that forces you to go back down to grammar and ask who what where and when right so it, so a lot of people you know if you say if you make a statement about something they'll say oh henrik you're just a conspiracy theorist the government could never do that Rather, you know, and you're sitting there holding this stack of data for them to go through and they refuse to look at it. They're putting their logic first. They've already made up their minds. You know, don't, as the old saying goes, don't confuse me with facts. I've already made up my mind, yep, right? That's right. So, so what they're doing is they're putting their logic or their decision first, their why, why something is 
before they've ever asked who, what, where, and when and looked at the actual data. Hmm. Okay. So then when what happens then is people who don't go back down to that level of grammar and look at the who, what, where, when, and then come up before they ask why. And let me add that logic is developing the faculty of reason and establishing non-contradictory relationships. uh, And it reveals a systematic understanding of the items that you're dealing with. And it's a, a guide for thinking correctly, for thinking without contradiction. You know, it's so as Ayn Rand defined it, it is the art of non-contradictory identification. And interestingly, Ayn Rand was one, if you read her book, she was one that very commonly put logic before grammar. She would come to conclusions that were wrong. Like if you study Anthony Sutton or Carol Quigley or Douglas Reed or some of these types of works, you'll clearly see right away that she didn't put her her grammar before her logic. She came to conclusions before proper study. It doesn't mean that all of Ayn Rand's philosophy is bad. It just means that she didn't have a proper understanding of the trivium and how to get, gather data before coming to a conclusion. Hmm. So, Jan, do, do you see that there is a pro- problematic aspect here, though, if we, if we incorporate philosophy into this? Because uh, at a certain point there... If you are into certain philosophical areas, so to speak, you there will be contradictory things. Right. Well, uh, see, here's here's the here's the issue, Henrik. Is the ancients believed post Aristotle anyway that you couldn't even study philosophy if you didn't already have a foundation in the trivium? See what. A lot of people don't know, and maybe this is a good segue here, uh, what a lot of people don't know is that there's this ancient conversation going on since Socrates all the way to the present called the Great Conversation, and it's found in the great books of the Western world. And it's the great books of the Western world is 54 or 60 volumes now up to the, the present day. And you, you, they're hard, getting harder and harder to get copies of, but you can go to a used bookstore sometimes and find them for the, I don't know what it would be in Sweden, but equivalent of $100, $200. Hmm. But uh, this is all of the, or just about all of the major philosophers of the last uh, 2,500 years, and it's a continuing conversation that each generation builds on the last. And to really even un- be, be able to get in and understand the great conversation, you first have to have studied the trivium and quadrivium. So, uh, you know, th- this is one of the ways that they keep people out of understanding how everything is being done to them. And where the contradictions come in that you mentioned, and I like to jab uh, uh, jab at Kant because I think that Kant gave us the contradictions, and it's Kant's uh, philosophies that have really had the the biggest detriment on us and the irrationality of the New World Order and uh, many of the other things that are being uh, pushed upon the people today, as well mm-hmm. as the... I think the the positivist movement is largely uh, from Kant. Uh, it's people who, uh, instead of you know, instead of taking action against a wrong, they'll say, "Oh, well, that's negative. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it." See, they're choosing ignorance rather than understanding. Mm, so yeah. they automatically block out information. And I've heard many uh, hippie type people who will say that something is negative and they'll refuse to check it out. They'll choose ignorance. And I think it's to their own and everyone else's detriment because 
who who does that decision work for? Does it work in your favor or the elitist New World Order's favor for you to sit there and not take action when you see injustice? Yeah, well, right. If you're gonna yeah. if if somebody's if somebody like let's say there are three people and they're they're in a race and they're at the starting line, okay, and one of them is a positive thinker, one is neither positive nor negative, and the other one is is very negative. Which one do you think would win the race? Uh. Jesus, does it even matter? I, that's a difficult well, one, see, actually. Well, see, you know, it's what I'm getting at is it's about taking action and not see. the The joke is the, is that the positive thinker would get upset about the negative thinker being there and sit down and meditate to clear the air. <laughs> you know, the yeah. negative thinker, while he might be negative and bitch and moan and complain the whole time, he's going to get to the finish line and he's probably going to tie about the same time with the one who's not positive or negative, who was stopping and smelling the flowers along the way you know so it's just you know it's just it's it shows you that typically people who only want to be positive they're not being they're not being holistic or critical thinkers and people often see critical thinking as being negative okay mm, yeah, and but what's what positive thinking is out of balance if you're positive all the time you're not being balanced and if you look at the kabbalah one of the ways that in the kabbalah that mind control can be used is to to group you into one of the sephira where you would only be thinking positively and so you need to remember that you have all of these sides. There's a yin and a yang and balance in nature. There's day and night. There's good and bad. There's, you know, there's a balance to the nature in the universe. So if we're always only focusing on one side and refusing to absolutely look at the other under any circumstance, then we can actually very easily be controlled and manipulated through that. Absolutely. It's, it's also what, what I see, obviously, that this is also about what kind of information or the data, if you will, then that you get access to there, you in order to make the proper judgment or decision. Um, I don't know if this is jumping ahead, Jan, but if we just briefly look, look into that idea that it, you must be able to have all the variables, if you will, in your within your parameters to make the, the, the proper decision, much in the same way that many of these people, they want to uh, this has nothing to do with empirical data, if you will. They're, they're actually not truly observing uh, reality the way it is. I mean, that, and this goes back then to Rand's, if you will, objectivism. Right. That I mean, how can we be truly objective in a world where we possibly cannot know all the variables? We cannot well, see, know all the see, truth, the, right? Well, see, that's the thing is the and and that's correct in a way. But what the trivium does, and when it's put in a functioning system in a wheel or in a corkscrew type fashion, always going around. It always teaches you to go back down and look at the data, and you can actually dig down through the information coming in via the five senses. You can dig down and you can find all of the available data on a particular subject, and you can decide with, with that available data, you can decide if you have reached a final conclusion, you know, A or B, yes or no, or if you need to do more research or if it's true or false, et cetera. Right. You know, so, and, and, and even if you've come to a conclusion at that particular point in history and you know if a statement is true or false, by using the trivium as a functioning system, you always know to go back and check things if new data ever comes in, right? So then you're always able to go back and you have a functioning method to go back and look on and you know exactly how you derived that conclusion the last time you went through it hmm. so then you can very quickly and easily go back and look at it and doing so is sort of like a, it's a mental antivirus system because that way 
you know, you get these chain emails where people send you out something ridiculous and, you know, and, oh, send it on to 20 other people or whatever. Or, you know, there is a, you know, the, the spider on the toilet seat is going to bite you. And, you know, a lot of people don't go to snoops.com or one of these websites to check and, and see if the chain email that they're spreading around is true or not. And what happens is if you, for instance, you know, let's say it takes you 30 seconds or maybe five minutes to go on Snoops or go online and verify if this chain email is correct or not before you send it on, right? And But it, let's say if you don't verify it and you just send it on and you send it out to 100 people, you've just taken up all of those people's time, multiplied many times over, simply because you didn't verify that information. And if you send out false information, it's like you're sending out a virus. You're yeah. sending out bad information to other people. And what happens to your computer when it gets a virus on it? If somebody doesn't have an antivirus uh, software on their computer and they get an email from somebody with a virus and it goes into their email box and it sends out another several hundred emails and infects all of those people downstream, just because that one person without the antivirus isn't checking that data, now all of those other people out there have this virus. And we see this every few years, there'll be a global computer virus that takes out companies and emails and all of this stuff because people passed on information that they didn't verify. You know, we're looking at a macro and a micro. We're looking at two different things here, you know, computer systems and humans. But I think the analogy is clear that when people themselves don't take a minute or two to verify that information, the time that's taken up downstream is many-fold greater. Okay. So, you know, take the time to verify information before you pass it on. You know, ask who, what, where, and when. And that way... Uh, you are coming to a position of certainty. You either know for certain that you need to do more research. You know, it's either A or B. I need to do more research to find out. Or you've, by using logic and logical fallacies and understanding sentence structure and all of this, you can see if a, you know, if one side is using fallacies and isn't substantiating their facts and is making uh, fallacious claims, then you can dismiss it. Right. And you can fi figure out which person is making the better argument, which we haven't really gone into yet. But uh, so anyway, the third part of the trivium is rhetoric and it is the how of a subject. So before you can go to other people and explain how something works properly, you have to have answered the why and the who, what, where, and when. You've had to have done your grammar and logic. First, you've gathered all of the data with the grammar, and you've removed the contradictions with the logic, and you've answered why something works the way it does. Now, when somebody asks you how, you're able to express that cogently and clearly and pass on clear information without noise in the signal. Mm. And so this is what is lacking in our education systems today, which people very definitely had. You know, I've read uh, letters from soldiers in the American Civil War that were far more articulate than your average person today that you would even meet online or anywhere. And well, especially online, uh, Johan, we know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The internet lingo and everything is boiled right. down and it's Orwell's, uh, you know, uh, nightmare unfolding here, basically in terms of Absolutely. our vocabulary, you know. Absolutely, you are. You just hit that one on the head too. And in fact, I have a a book sitting around here somewhere that's uh, 
on that very subject. I, I'm not. Oh, it's called "Less Than Words Can Say." That's <laughs> on this very subject and and the constant dumbing down of language. Um, so you know, and I mentioned logical fallacies a minute ago. We should probably cover some of the logical fallacies and. People need to understand the logical fallacies, I think, first, because you can begin to apply them right away. And the logical fallacies is really uh, how how you can – knowing the logical fallacies is like taking the red pill in the matrix. That's the best an analogy, I think. Mm. And there's two types or two categories of logical fallacies. There's formal and informal. And for, formal fallacies are based strictly on the logical formation of an argument, which is deductive. Informal fallacies are the most common – uh, commonly recognized and easiest to learn, and they take into account non-logical content of an argument or inductive and are uh, false for epistemological, dialectical, or pragmatic reasons. And uh, the informal fallacies fall under three categories, which are relevance, presumption, and ambiguity. And so when we uh, understand the the logical fallacies, and, and I should mention that the word fallacy comes from the Latin fallare, which means to lie. And so when people use these different types of fallacies, they are in fact lying. And there, there's two different types of people who use fallacies. There are your average person who's never studied uh, logic or, or any of this type of thing, and they're just doing it uh, ignorantly, they're not aware of it, and uh, you know they, they're just... They're not educated. Hmm. And then there's the other type who does this stuff intentionally. They're the sophists. This is where we get the word sophisticated from. And so these are typically the elites, the lawyers, the marketers, the, the propagandists, the politicians, uh, these type of people. They're the sophisticated class, the, the sophists, and they're using this type of information to control the rest of society. And uh, so we can go into some of the logical fallacies now. Um, I, I want to ask ahead. you, before we go there, Jan, a little bit about the the right type of information again, if we go back to that idea of, of because if we're thinking about this idea of the of the, the circle or the, the spiral that you mentioned that we can go around in this idea of, okay, do I need to collect more data or, or you know, more research? In order to find out what actually is going on about and you know whatever subject basically, uh, there is a a potentiality there that we might end up obviously in one way running in a circle. Uh, we could also um, be put down by the idea I, of oh go ahead, Jan. I I don't agree with that that you would be left just going in a circle because you know the the idea of doing that in and of itself is always self corrective. You know, I think that not doing it is what gets us in a circle in the first place because we're not asking who, what, where, and when. We haven't checked our data and we jump to false conclusions uh, without any information or proper study. Mm -hmm. And I think that the going in the circle bit is exactly what our entire society is doing right now without the trivium. So I would completely beg to differ with you on that mm -hmm. because – always going back to the ground level and checking yourself and making sure that you're making your decisions on on solid information is what's going to give you uh, uh, strong self-esteem and, and strong knowledge that you're making the right decision. So uh, I, see, I see what you mean, Jan, definitely. I guess what I'm alluding to then in one sense of, of all of this is the, 
the, the quality of the information that we are getting. Let's say, for instance, that we want to find out something about the uh, the Celts or the, the, the Druids, then, let's say. Sure. And if the only data that we can assess comes from, you know, Julius Caesar, because it's the only one that is actually written down by, you know, and well, this then could you're, be... Then it, you're, well, I mean, you're only, you're, you're limited to the information available that you can bring in via the five senses. Right, right. So, you know, so obviously... If you knew that, well, Julius Caesar is the only source or, you know, do I have to go out and and dig in the field and do my own archaeology work to find out more who, what, where and when, then that's what I have to do. You know, you can you can understand that this one source based on logical fallacies and we're just about to go into the logical fallacies, but if one side is making a biased argument against the other, the logical fallacies and knowing how sentences are put together and if a statement is logical or if someone is attempting to use these fallacies against you, 99 times out of 100, it will reveal those false attempts uh, just in in the nature of using logic itself. I see. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting then because that's kind of the, the nature of what, what I wanted to get to. Like basically how far does it take you in terms of are you only limited within the field of academia, meaning you're an armchair researcher, or does it actually take you out into the no, physical no, 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 world no, as well? You know? Well, no, see, because remember that the general grammar aspect deals with the with reality with you know trees plants animals cars roads houses buildings books yeah, yeah. anything that's out there in reality can be fall under general grammar whereas special grammar deals with the building blocks of a specialized language like english or russian or latin okay mm-hmm. so so the general grammar always takes you back out into what's out in reality to look at what's there and to go ah okay this is what i need to do to gather more information before i you know, go back in and and derive a final conclusion. Excellent okay. individual assessment of the of the situation. In other words, and not relying on the the data that is available necessarily only. Right. Exactly. So it's always you know you're always saying, okay, what was this person's background? Where did he come from? Did he have an agenda? Who was he working for? Uh, is he using false rhetoric in here? Is the information that he provides or she uh, well cited and and uh, all are those sources easy to find? Are those sources uh, verifiable? Um, are they misquoted, etc.? So you can yeah. go back in and check out all of that, you know. And and in fact, this is exactly what I did when I wrote my last book, The Holy Mushroom, when I was on your show last time, with all of the attacks that were used against John Allegro, primarily by R. Gordon Wasson. And so what I did is I was actually the first in 40 years since Allegro published that book to actually check each one of his footnotes and then go get the citation that he used in that footnote and verify it, put them all together, and go straight down the, the line and see if his, his, his citations checked out, hmm. which, in fact, they did, contrary to every scholar's opinion out there for the last 40 years, right? Hmm. And then on top of that, I was also able to find ancient primary texts that substantiated one of the texts specifically uh, mentioned the quote-unquote holy mushroom. So here we had an ancient primary text specifically backing up Allegro's thesis, and today we also have about 3,000 other images and things like that that, you know, in 1970 we didn't have the internet and there was only one or two, right? (laughs) So... Um, you know, so this is how we can go back down and dig down and not take one person or one group's opinion. And go, going into that, 
uh, we can begin by looking at the informal logical fallacies. And, and like I said, there's uh, three different uh, groups of them being relevance, presumption, and ambiguity that they primarily fall under. And so I'm just going to go down the list of some of these first, and then we'll, we'll focus on a few of them. But ad hominem, appeal to authority, appeal to belief, appeal to consequences of a belief, appeal to emotion, appeal to fear, appeal to flattery, appear, appeal to novelty, appeal to pity, to popularity, to ridicule, to spite, tr to tradition. Then there's the bandwagon fallacy. There's begging the question or circular reasoning. There's the bias sample. There's burden of proof, uh, circumstantial ad hominem, confusing cause and effect, false dilemma, gambler's fallacy, the genetic fallacy. Uh, there's guilt by association, hasty generalization, the middle ground fallacy. And this is only a small listing of them. There's actually a couple of hundred out there that are, are known, and they're, and the list will never be complete because people can always think of new lies That's right. and That's ways right. to lie. Well, but, I mean, you know, the, the, the conspiracy movement would do good to examine some of these uh, absolutely. points. Absolutely, and, and, and that's the whole idea of, of getting this information out there is because if the conspiracy movement can go through all of this and learn how these lies work, they'll be able to go back through and filter out all of the misinformation and disinformation Information that's out there against the, the so-called truth movement, and they'll be able to refine the argument, refine the data about 9-11 or about any other subject, and get more hardcore facts, filter out what's false. When someone like when uh, Jason Burmis and uh, Dylan Avery went on Popular Mechanics or went up against Popular Mechanics on Democracy Now! several years ago, if they had been armed with this information when they went up there, Instead of throwing logical fallacies back at the popular mechanics guys, they would have been able to say, oh, well, you, that was a slippery slope, or that was a straw man, or that was a red herring argument, or you're using an appeal to fear, that was an appeal to ridicule. You know, if, if, if you can't make an argument here on national television without using logical fallacies, then that tells me and everyone else that you're intellectually bankrupt, Mr. Popular Mechanics. And that's how it should have gone down. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, but we can't, you know, all we can say is coulda, shoulda, woulda and move forward from here. And this is what needs to be done. People need to learn and study how these things work so that they can go back in and make a solid argument and present this stuff. And whenever, you know, somebody says, Henrik, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Ha 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 ha. You know, that's an ad hominem number one conspiracy theorist, uh, because rather than looking at the data you're presenting, they're attacking you. Number two, it's an appeal to ridicule. An appeal to ridicule is a really interesting one because an appeal to ridicule is just, Henrik, you're wrong because ha 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 ha. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole that's argument. That's all, all they got right there. Yeah. That's all they've got right yeah. there. So when you can spot this type of lie, it's it it <laughs> it makes it a lot easier for you. So now when you go through life and you know it, at first when you start learning the fallacies, you'll be doing a lot of stumbling and things and it's like learning how to walk. A child doesn't 
get up and run on the first day, fall a lot. So, you know, for the first year and year and a half, you need to study like a fallacy a day. And in fact, somebody just started the the fallacyaday.com website, I think it is, to help fill this need. And uh, But you can study a fallacy a day or you can uh, get out there and learn all of the different logical fallacies. And once once you get to know the names of the fallacies and how they work, what it's doing is it's taking your knowledge from from implicit knowledge to explicit knowledge. So implicit knowledge is like you go to some guy at the swap meet or a car dealership and you get that funny feeling in your stomach that, you know, that guy lies is, I think that guy's lying to me, but I'm not quite sure. You know, I just can't, I get this funny feeling. Whereas explicit knowledge, you say, oh, well, you know, he just used an appeal to flattery and appeal to popularity. He said, oh, I'm going to have all the hot chicks if I get the leather seats and, and, uh, you know, uses all of this misleading vividness and, and all of this stuff to sell me this product. So now you don't, you're not left with just this funny feeling. You're able to identify explicitly the exact lie that was just used against you. It's a method to verify your intuition and your hunch, uh, something exactly. that obviously your unconscious See. picks up See. on all the time, right? You just hit it on the head again. And that's exactly right because all the implicit knowledge should do is trigger you to go, aha, what was that? Let's turn on the trivium and let's run this through grammar logic before we have, you know, before we come to any conclusions or pass any information on. Let's process through the, this through the trivium and then see what's going on here. So the implicit or that in- intuitive funny feeling aha moment should only be a trigger to turn on a systematic method of verification. It shouldn't be the final conclusion. Right. Like, I, I, you know, I see many people in the New Age movement that they'll get a funny feeling. Oh, one day my, uh, you know, and I, I've been to plenty of New Age conferences where there's dozens of these people where they think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a, a channeler and therefore I had a funny feeling I got this channeled information, and therefore I know it's true. Mm, yeah. um, you know, this person is a lizard or an alien because my parents got a funny feeling when they were watching TV. Really? That's all you have to go on? Well, at that really? point, you're, you're in the realm of an area that can't be proven or disproven either, which is a, a comfortable place to be, to be for some, well, obviously. Right? Well, no, so, well, no, it's not, because then it's called arguing the arbitrary, and it's automatically dismissed. You're arguing for something that you have no evidence for whatsoever. See, the, you have to remember, going back to objective reality, that you're bringing in information through your five senses, and you're verifying it. You're asking who, what, where, when, and when before you say why or how. Mm. So somebody who is just getting a funny feeling and then takes that as fact, well, you know, Rene Descartes was criticized a lot for that. Um, uh, Kant was criticized a lot for that. Just coming up with ideas and thinking that they reflect reality when in fact you have no verification of that. So if somebody says, well, Donald Rumsfeld is a lizard, my, you know, my friend had a funny feeling or or something like that, you need to, you know, be able to verify through the five senses, ask who, what, where, and when, ask if there is some uh, uh, Allison Bailey uh, Fabian socialist agenda for for getting you to believe that theory, okay? D- does it, uh, to you, John, exclude all the the metaphysics, if you will, the, 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 the paranormal? Well, no, you don't, you don't exclude it all. See, what's interesting is the trivium and quadrivium the third part 
and I haven't really discussed the quadrivium yet, but interestingly, the quadrivium, trivium and quadrivium will plug right into sacred geometry and into the Kabbalah, into philosophy and things like this. But what it does, and, and into uh, the Kabbalah obviously ties into tarot, obviously ties into uh, astrology and all of these different things. But what it does is it gives you a systematic method for understanding how the ancients came up with these ideas and how they do work. And what you understand is that while it gives you an image of yourself, you don't have to base every single aspect as fact. And, you know, what these things should do is give you a, a hint or a clue to go out and verify as much as possible that that information is real before you pass it on to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Responsibility right, so that, right there. But before right. you, uh, so yeah, yeah, before fine. you pass that mental virus on down the line, we're going back to that mental anti, you know, the mental vi- virus and the trivium being an ant- mental antivirus system and always checking that data, you know, and the new age movement, the positivist movement, I think that they're the most guilty of this type of, of behavior and quote unquote thinking, you know, they're not uh, verifying the information. They're just spreading it out there. And that can be very detrimental to everyone downstream that we're actually trying to help up and empower. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and what the trivium does is the trivium is really, you know, there are all these different issues out there that we need to focus on. And, you know, I've been an activist for more than 20 years. And what I realized one day several years ago was that I was figuratively whacking at the branches on all of these different subjects. And so what I started looking for was a root cause of all of this that could be focused on. And, you know, by focusing on the root, it would resolve the other issues. And the trivium and quadrivium are, are just that. They, they, when you empower someone else with the ability to spot logical fallacies when politicians or anyone else is feeding you bunk or in a book or in a newspaper or anywhere else, when you empower those people to see all of this stuff, then we're correcting all of that out of the system. We're, we're eliminating all of that noise that is used to corrupt and control us. And well- uh, you know, I mean, that's a that's a really, really, really good point. I think as well because if we if we think about uh, the uh, the fruits from the uh, the uh, the YouTube uh, tree, right, with all the comments and all these uh, the the open source idea with all the the uh, now violence that is going on in terms of uh, so called debating with people back and forth. It, it's not really debating, of course. It's not a academic discussion that is going on this is just uh, people throwing crap at each other basically well this but- is this is this is due specifically to the dumbing down of the global population people yep, don't yep. have critical thinking so they'll sit there and throw ad hominem attacks at each other you're a, a fag or you're an idiot or you're stupid or this or that and all of this nonsense when you know instead of digging back down looking at the information and coming back up and having a valid logical conclusion so when when you go onto YouTube and start debating someone, and they start throwing logical fallacies at you, point out their logical fallacies instead, right? Yeah. And and so what we're doing is we're creating a meme of people who understand and who can see through the matrix, right? They can see through all of those lies. So actually, and eventually, when when this this is that that idea is adopted enough, you don't even have to point that out. But people will spot it right away, and that's the obviously exactly. the ultimate uh, you know advantage of, of something like and this because. I have always been very very disappointed that that uh, yawn just the, the idea of there is never any constructive criticism like okay I 
think you're wrong because of this, 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 and that, and break it down and, and explain and why this is wrong and link up and reference and actually make something out of it so we can progress all of us forward and actually exactly. get to the truth. But that is never the issue. That is never the idea here. See, and, and hopefully by having this conversation today, you will empower your audience to, from now on, at least many in your audience, to provide that type of constructive critical feedback rather than, you know, the positive thinker who doesn't want to think about it at all or do anything at all and somebody else will take care of it or, you know, somebody who is just going to attack you because they put their uh, their logic before their grammar mm. and they haven't done any research and they're just going to say that, you know, you're full of crap, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's, you know, again, that that is a systematic, that is a, that is a, what a, it's it's really a, a a serious disease or illness in our society mm. when people put their logic before their grammar, and this is because people have been in the last thirty or forty years, especially, taught to go been taught to go on their emotions rather than figuring things out. And again, yeah, this goes true. back to Kant, it goes back to Rene Descartes and these guys. But when you just go on those warm, fuzzy feelings and you don't go out and check what, you know, the information that you're passing on, you know, it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. If you just have that warm, fuzzy feeling that you think you just channeled without verifying that information and you pass that information on to others that, you know, you think this person is an alien or whatever because their parents saw someone on TV, which is, you know, one of the presenters, uh, at, you know, out in Philadelphia recently where I presented, that was their, their evidence for their entire presentation was that their parents had a funny feeling when watching TV. And, and some of these others, you know, that were there presenting, I know some of them were, one of them was a Fulbright scholar and a, and a, with a, uh, a degree, a doctor's degree in law, and I know was fully equipped in the tools of rhetoric and the logical fallacies, which would make him a sophist or incompetent if he had managed to become a Fulbright scholar and not understand these things. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's frightening to me that even people that consider themselves educated could go out and spread so much disinformation and and then it comes down to two things again if somebody is doing it intentionally they're a sophist they're a sophisticated they're they're out there they're either being paid to do it or they're you know they're uh they have an agenda to protect and the other group are those who are <clears throat> simply uneducated and doing it out of pure ignorance and at that point you have to ask them are you are you familiar with the logical fallacies and things like that and if they say yes then you know they're a sophist Right. Hmm. So or or if if they're not a sophist, they don't have good critical thinking skills. They've got their logic and grammar out of order. They don't go back down and ask who, what, where and when before they come up with with a conclusion. Um, so this is very common. But why don't we go back into some of these fallacies real quick mm -hmm. so that, yeah. uh, you know, I'd really like to give your audience uh, a firm understanding of a lot of these. Uh, ad hominem I mentioned earlier, and that's just attacking the man. And up, oh, this website is delaying here. And person A makes claim X. Person B makes an attack on person A. Therefore, A's claim is false. So you make a claim about. I don't know, whatever it may be, let's say, uh, you know, the, the bomb and the bombing in Norway and you make a claim about it. And somebody says, Henrik, 
Well, you're Swedish. You couldn't know anything about Norway. You know, that's a that's a that's a type of <laughs> that you know, so anything that you say about Norway is false. That's a, an ad hominem or that could also be considered a circumstantial ad hominem attack right, because you're right. not Norwegian. Hmm. But they might say, "Oh, well, Henrik, you're a conspiracy theorist or Henrik, you're gay or Henrik, you're this or that," rather than dealing with the specific information that you're providing. Um, an appeal to belief is a very common one. Most people believe that claim X is true, therefore that claim is true. Uh, you know, a million people can't be wrong. A million Frenchmen. <laughs> that's can't right. Be wrong, that's right? right. And that's uh, that's back to that idea of of, uh, of of information or disinformation. That if we if they also just manage to kind of flood not only the web but also you know books and and so forth as well with a certain type of information, this will be considered to be oh that's your cross referencing right there, you know. But that doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it right. Right. And so, see, going back to that uh, that quote that I read from Edward Bernays at the start of the interview, uh, you know, what what that means is that just being able to read is not enough. See, Leo Tolstoy said that the printing press is a mighty engine for disseminating ignorance. Now, why would that be? See, if you don't have a systematic method for going through and verifying the, the data that you're getting when you're reading, then you can be very easily misled. Okay, so that is the whole trick of how this thing works and how they use the media, the press, books, things like that for mind control. So unless you have a systematic method to go through and ask who, what, where, why, when, how, you know, this whole systematic corkthrough, uh, corkscrew type method, then it's very easily to mislead you or control you. But by having this system, you're always able to go back in and check that data and make sure someone's not, not fooling you. Hmm. And let me read you this quote also from... Uh, Sir Thomas More, which is up on the Trivium Education website, and he says, For if you, the rulers, suffer your people to be ill-educated and their manners to be corrupted from their infancy, and then punish them for these crimes to which their first education disposed them, what else can be concluded from this but that you first make thieves and outlaws and then punish them? Hmm. And that's from, yeah. Sir, yep. Sir, that's from uh, Sir Thomas More's book, Utopia, from... I think the uh, early 16th century from the, roughly the 1520s or 1530s. So, you know, what we're looking here is people, by not having the systematic method, they're basically, they are creating the, the criminals and the outlaws of these people who don't have this ability, and then they blame them for not having the critical thinking. <laughs> and they, they blame them for... Uh, the the elites will will say you know the stupid ignorant masses or the the proles the pro, you know the proletariat the uh, the dead the uh, this type the profane all of these words the, this is all based on people not first and foremost having the trivium but also the quadrivium on top of that and then having a a understanding of philosophy especially uh, at least some of the foundation of the the great books of the Western world. Mm. So um, let's get into there's appeal to novelty. You know, Terence McKenna was famous for this. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you think <laughs> uh, 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 X is new, therefore X is correct or better. And uh, you know, his whole time wave zero theory is based on novelty being better. But we see novelty. You know, nature doesn't really 
as far as we can tell, unless you're a hardcore believer in Darwinian theory, which I think, you know, there's certain things that I think it, it's used more for eugenics than, than is verifiable. But I don't think that nature always does go for novelty. I think typically humans do, especially with te- technology, but that's a, a different matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there's appeal to fear. Uh, Obama in, <laughs> well, this is one of Obama's favorites. His, his is also uh, appeal to emotion fallacy, but position Y is presented a claim that is intended to produce fear. Therefore, uh, the claim X is true, a claim that is generally but need not be related to Y in some matter. And so, uh, you know, he'll, the, the Al-Qaeda, they're, they're, they're lurking in the caves to in terrorist cells ready to take down America at any moment, even mm-hmm. though they're on the other side of the planet. And, you know, and uh, we're the one who empowered and put Al-Qaeda in power. The U.S. government did to fight the Soviet Union, who was also a dialectic, etc. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we can go on down the line here on mm-hmm. how we can use this stuff to find more information. Appeal to ridicule, I already covered. You're wrong because ha 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 ha. And uh, appeal to spite, uh, appeal to tradition. Bias sample is pretty obvious. Uh, sample S, which is biased, is taken from population P. Conclusion is C is drawn about population P based on S. So you you don't you basically you're not bringing in enough information. And um, guilt by association is another common one. You know what? Let me uh, cover real quick here. Begging the question. Now, begging the question is a, a very common one that Christians like to use. The, uh, first, the premises on which the truth of the conclusion is claimed or the truth of the conclusion is assumed, either directly or indirectly, uh, is the same source. You know, So you're saying, like, let's say, uh, God wrote the Bible. Well, how do you know God wrote because the Bible? Because it's in well, the Bible. It's, well, it says right here in the Bible. Yeah. Well, this is circular reasoning. It's begging the question. Well, how do you know that... Some uh, rabbi, you know, two thousand years ago, for his own self-interest or his own, or his tribe's or people's self-interest, didn't put that in there. Mm. Such as, uh, you know, uh, the Israel is belongs to the 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 quote unquote chosen people, which is a racist no- notion in and of itself. You know, it, it it dehumanizes one group and sets one group above the others, and then they can use this circular logic or this begging the question to fight and take this land and do all of this Zionist stuff, dehumanizing each other and, uh, you know, fighting and bringing in the New World Order type junk. So, yeah, yeah. you know, th- this is, uh, you know, all based on begging the question and these logical fallacies. So, you know, next time you get into some debate with a Zionist, you can just point out, you know, that's a begging the question fallacy. Uh, that's not a valid argument. And the discussion is done, Right. And uh, if the person doesn't want to understand it, and this is kind of a funny statement, but then you just leave them to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all you have to do at that point. I mean, exactly. You you reach a, a certain level where you also, you you can't assume that you know those who are though you are arguing with that they have the same 
ideas about rationality or even that they have right. an, well, an ability of we'll you know, being rational you know what i mean so right well see if they haven't specifically studied and installed in their own mind a, a systematic form of critical thinking they probably don't have one most people react emotionally to information rather than verifying information first yeah, yeah. so you know it's always important to go back down and ask who what where when before you can answer why in logic and before you can explain how to others in rhetoric uh, so it's always based on the this, this same issue being wrong, people jumping to conclusions or reacting emotionally before they've checked their data. Um, see, like I'm holding this glass of water here that I just picked up off the table. I can look at the glass of water. I can tap the glass of water. I can lick the glass of water. I can smell the water in there. I can get a, a feeling of everything about the glass of water. I'm doing my grammar, my who, what, where, and when about the, the glass. Okay. Now I understand. I have an understanding. I've done my research on that glass. I can put that glass down on the table and not become that glass or that idea. I don't have to believe to it and hold to it and defend it with my life like a religion or whatever. I just, I'm picking it up. I'm studying it. I'm understanding it. And then I put it down. And then when somebody else wants to come to me and discuss that, then I can explain what I learned about that glass with proper rhetoric, without emotional attachment or without having put my logic first. Oh, well, see, a logic first would be, well, it's this, this, this opaque thing that fell from space and I think aliens created it. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> Right. So, you know, it's like, you know, that would be someone who puts their logic first. Whatever idea that they came up with would be the correct answer. It wouldn't matter. You know, so there's no truth. Truth doesn't matter. You know, who does who does that behoove that truth doesn't matter? The elite. Does that? Yeah. Does that work in your favor if you don't care about truth? If you just go around positive thinking and not caring about truth, does that really behoove you? You know, in my opinion, I don't think it does. Yeah, it, so it, it's, go ahead. It's true, and th and then you, uh, you 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 end up in a situation too where you can where, where things can be, and here's where it, where it ends up in the in almost like the philosophical corner area as well. You can you can also prove and disprove a lot of things. You can with with the certain things uh, claim it is so or it isn't right. In 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 a certain set, you can you can say it through quantum physics. I can prove that it's not really there, you know, for, almost well, see, from the from the matrix that, that, point of view. That this is well, just, that's 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 very interesting that you brought quantum physics up. In fact, and uh, well, see, you know, proof, you know, it, it, the idea of logic is again the art of non-contradictory identification. So, if you still have a, a contradiction between you and another person's opinion, what does that mean to you? That should tell you, aha. We haven't done enough research yet. We're not on the same page. Or if you've done the research and you know the truth and you know that you can substantiate your claim and you can write a book about it and show point by point by point that this is what really happens and you still leave yourself open to, you know, incoming data in case there's something you forgot, you know, that's still a possibility. But see, uh, quantum physics comes again from Kant traditions, from Kantian philosophy. And uh, I recently interviewed uh, uh, David Harriman uh, on my show, who is from the Ayn Rand Institute. So there, he's got a lot of haters out there, no doubt. But I highly recommend people go and listen to his talk because he talks about 
this idea of quantum physics and allowing 11 or 12 contradictions to exist at once, that means that you can never know anything. You might as well just turn off the lights and give it a rest permanently, mm, mm, mm. right? There's no truth in the world. Anything can be right or wrong, true, false, whatever at any given moment. But uh, I think Harriman does an excellent job in the in his uh, lecture, The Philosophic Corruption of Physics, and then... Uh, and his book, which I'm forgetting the, the name of right now, just a second. His book is called The Logical Leap. And uh, I think his, his book is, is very excellent. And he really gives a, a, a lot of examples. And in fact, what he shows is that through induction, this is how the laws of physics were created that run our computer computers today and launch our rockets and turn on our lights and and all of those things those were those were created uh via the the laws of physics which were created via induction and so those things wouldn't have been possible if quantum physics is real and they still haven't proved quantum physics quantum physics is still a theory there are certain aspects of quantum physics that are true and can work but the whole thing, the thing as a whole is not proved. Uh, M-theory is not proved. So, you know, it's still a theory. And if you compare Harriman's work to the field of quantum physics, it raises some very interesting questions that mm -hmm. the entire field of quantum physics is based off of irrationality. Hmm. Interesting. Um because uh, in one regard, I, I feel that certain of these the the new scientific fields are are beneficial, you know, beneficial to certain aspects of of, of reality. You you come into an area of uh, you know, there's moral objectivism, of course, things like this. That there is, uh, and, and but it, but there's still philosophical ideas. It's it's like um, when you mention again, if 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 it's channeled information, if you will, it's it's you're in the realm of you. Someone says, "Well, prove it." Well, you disprove it then. Uh, you see what well, I mean? But then, it's, it's, but then it's it's going nowhere again. It's arguing the arbitraries. You yeah. see, what you have to remember is that there's something called the onus of proof. Whoever is presenting an idea, the onus of proof falls on them to support that idea. If I say that there is a green fairy sitting over in the corner, and the guy next to me says, "Prove it," it's on me to prove it. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, just because a channeler says blah, 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 that, that doesn't mean anything. The onus of proof always falls on that person to substantiate their claim. And even if they've channeled that information, again, they go back to who, what, where, and when. They get that data, and then they can substantiate that claim properly. Okay? I, I think as well, Jan, uh, unless you want, there's more you want to mention about that, but I want to ask you about uh, the words, the, the idea of using direct, the right words as well, even vocabulary, using the terms that everybody is familiar with. This is well, another well, problem. Absolutely. We'll see. We'll see. That's exactly what you have to do. When you go out and you're doing your grammar, the grammar aspect of the trivium deals with those words, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, it's the, yeah. and then logic is the art of non-contradictory identification, correct? Right. So uh, when, you, uh, when you are listening to someone talk and, and you say, okay, well, I understand this word to mean X. What do you understand it to mean? And then the, the other person says, well, I understand it to mean why. And then you can both say, okay, well, why don't we use this other term, B, 
instead of X or Y that we can both agree on? Or let's, or let's agree to use my definition or your definition in this specific instance. Okay, so that way what you're doing is you're getting on the same page. You're removing the contradictions, and that's what literally getting on the same page means. Okay, when, when you, you have to, when you're talking about a subject, both people have to get on the same page. If I'm studying a book and I'm on page 190 and you're on page 30 and you start, you know, and I start trying to explain to you what's on page 90 and you start arguing with me that I'm wrong based on what you said on page 30, well, that's a pretty stupid thing to argue about. Why not get caught up and get to page 30 and then we'll discuss it? Yeah, right? absolutely. That, that's right. And and we we are people uh, overall are not on the same page and that is wh you know why we're in a rut you know there are many other problems that we're right. dealing and, and with so and what, the, but the other goes, point uh, go ahead John I was just going to say that key, that continuously goes back to people putting their logic before their grammar before their research they're coming to conclusions before asking who what where and when okay so if they always go back and check that and get on the same page. Oh, you know, what page were you on? Oh, you're on page 30. I'm on page 190. All right, well, let's wait until we're both finished with the book, and then we'll we'll talk about it then so that we're on the same page. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And so that way you're not talking about nonsense and a bunch of noise because you're not on the same page. You're not looking at the same research or the same grammar yet. And so once you're on the same page, you know, if, if I go out, and I'm looking at a specific number of things, I should be able to come to the exact same conclusion as you. You know, you can have, you, you get these knuckleheads that'll bring up this Kantian philosophy. Well, how do I know white is white? Or how do I know two is two? Okay, well, you know, or how do I know this is real? How do I know that you're real? Well, if I hit you in the face, you're going to feel it, right? Um, if, uh, you know, well, we can both agree during this conversation that this color right here is white, that color right there is black. After this conversation, if you want to go back to, and continue to thinking, uh, white is purple and one plus one is three, then you're more than welcome to do that. But in this conversation, everyone, uh, uh, accepts one plus one equals two, and everyone accepts white is white. You can go on with your irrationalist ideas and circles all day long. I'm not going to play that game. Go have fun doing that if that's what you want to do. Okay, uh, Jan, have have you noticed that there are any uh, areas where where it becomes more gray, where it's more difficult to pin it down, and 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 the certainty kind of falls out the window a little bit. Well, not really, because there's all as aspects. I mean, you, there is such a thing as a fallacist fallacy where you have to, where let's say you, you're listening to someone and you're saying, well, that's a fallacy, that's a fallacy, that's a fallacy. That person's likely full of crap. Um, but you should recognize that there is such a thing as a fallacist fallacy and say, well, I'm going to suppose that this person is a crap, is full of crap, but I'm going to verify that very quickly. Let's say, you know, you're, you're, uh, living in a small village someplace, right? And there's another village on the other side of the hill and you guys are always fighting. And somebody comes running from the other side of the hill in a pan and he says, uh, uh, you know, appeal to fear. Somebody's coming right now. They're going to come and kill us all. And, and you got to help, man. You know, and all they use all these appeal to fear, appeal to, to uh, emotion, uh, you know, all of these different things that you would normally discount as 
as fallacies, right? Mm. But the grammar aspect of it tells you to go back down, check your who, what, where, when, and why, which means, or who, what, where, and when, which means that you go over to the hill, you stick your head up over the top of it, and you look over, and you go, holy crap, there is another army. They're actually coming, right? So this is how that always works. So, you know, you, it, 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 again, it's a systematic method. It's, you know, it's, if you think of it in a wheel or in a corkscrew, you know, especially the corkscrew, because the corkscrew enables you to imagine the idea that you're digging down further to get more information and coming back up, right? But it's still rotating around in a circle, but you're going down another level. You know, you may come to a conclusion, like I, saying, like I was saying earlier, you know, my, the, the conclusions are A or B. Well, that means that you need to dig down another level. And you keep digging down until you reach that bottom level. And, you know, once you reach that bottom level, you still allow yourself through this system for more information to come in at any time. But you can say, well, I've come to this conclusion based on all of the available data at this time. There is somebody coming over the damn hill right now, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, if, if people do this, if people check, you know, Snopes.com or whatever before they send out chain emails, if, if people check and verify things that they get on a whim during a channeling thing or whatever, and they understand that the onus of proof is on them to substantiate their claims, you know, then things work a lot better for, for all of us. Now, that's not to, discount the spiritual spiritual world you know me being an ethnobotanist and having written books on that and and having experienced entheogens myself i i know that in my opinion i've had many telepathy experiences and things so i do think that based on the information from my five senses that there is more out there than is described by our language but what we have to realize is that grammar, logic, and rhetoric only deals with the language that we are able to use. And anything that falls outside of that language is still unable to be identified. So we have to be aware that there might be things, new discoveries or whatever, that, you know, new terms created for new discoveries that mm-hmm. were formerly outside of our realm of, of uh, awareness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, just because, you know, some objectivists, especially from Ayn Rand, who are hardcore uh, atheists, will state, well, you know, anything out there is impossible. But I've experienced too many things myself in, in these studies to completely dismiss that sort of thing. And I think that being that logic and the trivium only deals with language, that we still have to be aware of whatever, of potentials that are outside of that language but we still need to do whatever we can to verify information and ideas before we spread them to others right i i definitely understand the point of view that you're coming from you this is a method of trying to get to the truth and at the same time there is a recognition that we don't know everything we don't have all the uh, the instrumentation to measure all the variables in the in the universe and and we can't always trust that, that, you know, science have all the answers. Uh, I mean, there's a number right. of things well, that you are... Know, we'll, see. we'll see, science is always looking at the available, well, the idea of science the is idea, to look exactly. at the, yeah. of the, the available evidence and then always be looking for new evidence that might change that, mm. right? Yeah. And so that's the proper scientific method. If somebody's holding on to a single idea, they're not, you know, that's 
putting logic before grammar again. That is not the scientific method. And interestingly, the scientific method and many aspects of it come from the Kabbalah. So, uh, you know, that's a, another interesting tidbit that I, I won't go into today, but people can uh, listen to podcast number 51 on my, on my Gnostic Media website with Gino Denning, and uh, that will explain that. But we should go into a few more of these logical fallacies here, mm-hmm. uh, at, least a, at least a couple of them. You know, another one that uh, – <laughs> the post hoc fallacy – uh, a occurs before B, therefore A is the cause of B. And this is a very common one in the, in the New Age movement as well. It's like uh, a black cat crosses my path tonight. Tomorrow I trip at the shopping mall and I break my toe while I'm text messaging my friend. Never mind that I wasn't watching where I was going. There was a crack in the sidewalk and I was tech me- text messaging. It was the black cat that crossed my path the night before that caused it all. Right. Hmm. So this is this would be a, a post hoc fallacy. Um, the red herring fallacy is another very, very common one. And uh, the red herring fallacy is you ask a politician a question and instead of answering that question directly, they go off on a talk. They start telling, oh, you know, when I was a little boy and all of this and blah, 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 blah. And what they're doing is they're they're derailing the conversation. And this comes from the old. Uh, fox hunt days when you would train a hound to go after the fox when the when the when the hound was about ready about trained and and you wanted to test uh, you know the the hound's hunting ability what you would do is you would release the fox and then you would set the hand out to go catch the fox and then what you would do is you would you would run a a, a fish across the trail of the fox and try and and get the the hound to follow the the smell of the fish rather than the fox. And so this is where we get the red herring fallacy. You're just diverting attention to a completely different topic and you see if you can get the person to follow you there. Um, it, <laughs> politicians use that one very effectively. Another one is the straw man argument. And a corporation is a straw man argument, in fact. Um, person A has position X. Person B presents position Y which is a distorted version of, of position X. And then person B attacks his own position Y, pretending that it was the same as, as position X. And then therefore, position X is somehow flawed or incorrect because this guy misrepresented your argument in the first place and set up this, this straw man, this scarecrow guy that looks like a man but isn't really you know, a corporation but isn't really a man, hmm. sets up this false idea and then attacks that and pretends that it was your argument. And that's you know, another one that's just very common. But I also recommend people um, learn the Latin names of the fallacies as well because that will help tremendously in understanding where they came from and words around them, etc. cetera. Uh, so, and, and again, by learning the logical fallacies, people learn explicit knowledge rather than implicit of when somebody's lying to you. Oh, another one I should say is uh, uh, the slippery slope fallacy. That's very common. Uh, if we legalize marijuana, everyone will be shooting heroin in the streets tomorrow, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's just it, it, there's no one doesn't equal the other. Or if we don't go after Osama bin Laden, you know, we'll have uh, terrorists everywhere, even though, you know, the CIA is committing terrorist acts all over the world on a daily basis. I read an article yesterday or day before that 
the CIA has 70 or 80 covert actions going on in different countries around the world every single day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you never know who's being assassinated or what uh, covert war is going on or whatever, and it's all being done right here at home or, or launched from here at home. Um, another one that I want to cover very quickly is the middle ground fallacy. Let's say I've done research into a topic, and I know I've gone all the way down. I've done my grammar and everything. I've removed all the con contradictions. I know I've got the truth on this specific topic, okay? And I present this specific point and a lot of people get upset about it and they say no 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 that's not the right answer they put their logic before their grammar they get upset and they go out and they create a, a, a juxtaposed position that's exactly counter to yours okay then along comes the politician right and he says hey you know you on that side and you on the other side you guys stop fighting let's do something right here in the middle Okay, well, you've already verified, you've already done your grammar and logic, and you've verified everything that you know that you presented is true and factual, okay? And you know for a fact that the other side put their logic before their grammar. They didn't check any, anything, and they're reacting emotionally, and their idea is false, okay? Mm. So what happens, is if you, what happens if you settle for the middle? Well, you, you get a, a false story. You, you compromise yourself in a, into a position you, where you, you, you get half, half right, you know? Well, you've just accepted a lie, yeah. and so nothing yeah. gets accomplished, and what you're doing is it, it, it simply perpetuates the problem. So this is where you know politicians typically uh, make their business, right? Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, poor thinking. And so these, you know, that's just a, a rundown of, of a few of the primary fallacies, but if people go to my triviumeducation.com website, they can... Click on the links and study more about the fallacies there. And there's also on the video page, there is a, uh, a video that I did with Dr. Michael LeBosier on the logical fallacies. And that is very good. I recommend people watch the video and listen to the talks you know, many times over so that they begin to get this stuff. I think I had to listen to them like 10 or 15 times before the logical fallacies really started to click in. And then lastly, before I end the call, Henrik, I do want to mention very quickly the quadrivium, which is the second aspect of the seven liberal arts, the first being, as I said, the trivium. But the quadrivium is based on arithmetic or mathematics, and then geometry is second, music or, or harmonic theory is third, and then astronomy is fourth, or, or you could actually say uh, that's fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Uh, since it's the seven liberal arts. But the quadrivium pertains to matter and quantity, the advanced four. And mathematics is number in itself, a pure abstraction outside of space and time. And then geometry is number in space. And then music or harmonic theory is number in time. And then astronomy is number in space and time. And again, just like the trivium, these have to be taught in order. You, you need to know math before you study geometry. You need to know geometry before like what they do in the United States. What they did to me, which screwed me up, was they uh, taught me math and then they taught me algebra before geometry. And you have to have the proper order so that you have a foundation and understanding of how these things were derived historically and then this helps your own mind build upon how the ancients built upon this very knowledge themselves. So I just wanted to uh, add that very quickly about the, the quadrivium so that we don't leave your, your audience hanging. So that way they at least have a little bit on it there.
Very interesting indeed, uh, Johan. And as we begin to round things up here for this time, we definitely want to uh, give out some websites again here. Uh, Gnosticmedia.com, that's your main one. Why don't we spell that for everyone? That's G-N-O-S-T-I-C media.com. And then uh, the triviumeducation.com website, that's T-R-I-V-I-U-M education.com. Excuse me, and people may also want to check out my... Uh, another website that I run called popupfallacies.com. Popup fallacies. And, and that is some of the examples, I guess, of some of the things that right. we've been running well, through here then. Uh, Real-time right. uh, <laughs> you know, examples. examples. Yeah. And let me explain, like, uh, for instance, what I did the last pop-up fallacy video I did. And it's based off of the old concept of the, I don't know if you have VH1 in, in uh, Sweden. I know you guys have uh, MTV in Europe, but... Uh, Unfortunately, uh, we do, yes. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, yeah I, I had MTV <laughs> when I lived in Europe. But uh, VH1 is this other channel that's similar to MTV. They used to play music, mostly don't anymore. Uh, and they had this thing called pop-up videos where they would have these pop-ups during the music video making fun of the the musicians and making different statements about the bands and stuff like that, right? So what I did is I took that same idea and started using that for fallacies, pop-up fallacies. So the last video I did was Obama's The Death of Osama Bin Laden speech from from May 1st. And it's a 9-minute and 48-second talk, and in that talk, Obama makes uh, 86 lies, I believe. So it works out to, uh, well, you know, a fallacy is a lie. So we call it a lie per minute rating. And so he's got a lie per minute rating of 9.5 lies per minute. And uh, pretty so good. When you, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty damn good. So when you when you go through, you can see how Obama is spinning all of the rhetoric to lie and manipulate you, right? Yeah. To lie to you and manipulate you. So, uh, and you know, it's the idea with the pop-up fallacies and people who are interested, there's a link on the left. They can download the, the pop-up fallacy video toolkit to make their own pop-up fallacies and they can submit it to us and we'll post them up. Uh, but, and while you're doing your own pop-up fallacy videos, it helps you very much to learn the fallacies as you learn to go through and spot them. So, um, you know, it's a handy tool to learn them and uh, both in creating the videos and to get people familiar with how politicians and these types uh, use the false rhetoric against you. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for your time here today, Jan. A very interesting hearing about the trivium. I think uh, uh, there's a lot to learn, obviously, for many people in the in the conspiracy or alternative movement. Uh, a deduction, a, a method of sorts to hopefully then, Jan, get closer to the the truth, you know, a, a concept and even a, a word at this point that has been come very charged and kind of uh, uh, thrown around, and it's it, it gets injected into all kinds of things, and then people are just uh, supposed to take it for, at at face value because it's the truth now, you know. So I'm I'm all with you on the page of try to get closer to the truth, uh, and then uh, as we talked about, John, there's always areas which is where we need more data, where we need more information to make the proper decisions about it. But it's been very interesting having you back, Jan, and thank you again for your time. Thank you, Henrik. Silent 
For soon that will be gone Oh, I will stand arms outstretched Pretend I'm free to roam Oh, I will make my way Through one more day our program for today thank you for listening to red eyes radio take a look in our member section for much more archives going back to 2006 next up on red eyes radio we have john coleman nick redfern robert Boval, hugh newman penny pierce kevin annette will hart ken thomas marcia schaefer bob dean and rosalind peterson 
to mention a few. Stay inquisitive, stay open-minded and stay tuned to Red Eyes Radio as we continue to bring you what we consider to be the most fascinating and important topics. Take care.